stories of ambition, drive, success, and the personalities behind them. I'm Whitney Coonan. And I'm Macy McLean. And you're listening to Power in Heels. Have you ever wondered what it's like to work in finance and managing portfolios worth billions of dollars? Then you're in luck. Our next guest is a portfolio manager working on a fixed income team. We are so excited to have Joanna Roberts joining us today. Well, first of all, thank you for joining us. We're super excited to chat with you. Thanks for having me. This is very exciting. I guess I I would love to start off by just asking you, if someone were to ask you, you know, where your story started, um, where would you say it started for you? Well, you know, my my story um, has been a series of happy accidents. Um, it's been, I think, being in the right place at the right time and figuring things out as I go. So um, I guess, yeah, my story starts out the first time I was ever able to really make decisions about where I was going in schooling or career. Um, I think getting to university, getting to um, an undergraduate degree, I, I was very grateful for this where I was told I could change my major as many times as I liked, and it doesn't matter. Um, I took a very nonspecific Bachelor of Science degree, um, and I was told really from the get-go, it was like, well, you have to declare something. You have to put it down on paper, but it doesn't matter. You just go into, you know, this office and you tell them that you want to change it and they do that and they don't charge you money for that. So, um, yeah, so I was able to start a degree in math, change to engineering in my second year, go on a year abroad in my third year because I didn't want to do math or engineering, come back, take a sort of a motley collection of classes, seeing if I wanted to be an accountant, an actuary, realized I did actually want to graduate someday. So took a few more math classes, threw in some economics, just again, just to shake it up. Um, And then that took me towards um, a master's degree in economics and then jobs in finance. Um, So that's where it all started. And as you can tell, it was all very meandering. I love that. And I mean, it's, it's very refreshing to hear that, you know, you can start off not having an idea of exactly what you want, but it doesn't matter. And, and to hear that you were told to, it's okay to change your mind. We encourage that because I find, I mean, it was, I think it was a lot of the experience of, you know, young people entering, you know, post-secondary that they feel like they have to make this one big life decision right then. And, you know, they can't change their mind, but of course that's not true. Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, you know, and it did end up, I had to spent about five and a half years um, as an undergraduate when I think at the time it was a little bit like, oh, I, I, you know, could have, should have done this in four years. Um, But as a lot of people would say now, it's a lot more fun to spend that extra year at that time. It's really fun to be an undergraduate. Don't make that decision later when you're in the rat race. Those two years that you might spend trying something that you don't like, don't do that then. Do it when you're in university. It's great. And once you graduated university, what was your first job out of school? At the time, I was, you know, feeling quite sort of insecure about my job prospects and stuff. And even studying um, economics for my master's degree, um, you can do so many different things with it, but it does leave you with a little bit of paralysis um, in terms of figuring out exactly what you, you know, what you were going to do. Um, it wasn't a co-op program either, so I didn't have experience working in that field. Um, so I got a job offer from the First Nation Statistical Institute um, doing sort of more demographics. As you can tell, it wasn't finance. Um, and I knew I had kind of a desire to go that way. But what I really wanted, you know, 
was that security and I wanted that job offer and I wanted to know what I was going to be doing at the end of the year. You know, it was a stepping stone. It was what got me to Ottawa, which was fantastic. Um, it was a really interesting subject matter, obviously, like um, this was a brand new crown corporation and in Ottawa terms, it's so cool to be, you know, I was in the nation's capital and this new crown corporation and, you know, meeting people from communities that, you know, I never had a chance to, to meet before. So it was very cool. Um, but also within, you know, a few months, I was realizing that um, I still wanted to apply for other jobs. Um, and I was lucky enough to get an interview at the Bank of Canada. The first time I applied to the bank when I was in my master's program, they didn't even give me a call back. Um, and it was also like everybody in my class got a call back and I didn't. And it was actually like, <laughs> I probably cried for a week over that because um, they do hire like a lot of Queen's economics graduates. And it was actually like, I really, I think I'm the only Queen's economics student that they didn't give a first interview to in like the history of the bank. Um, so anyways, it was um, incredibly satisfying to, to be able to interview that second time they needed me. And that's when they put me in the financial markets department, which I think confirmed that sort of inkling that I had that I did want to sort of go in the finance direction um, and was really thrown in because, you know, the my economics degree didn't have a whole lot to do with that. So lots of, you know, really um, humbling moments, that's for sure. But with a lot of just being absolutely bamboozled, asking the stupid questions. I finally got secure enough there. And actually, yeah, you know, I was at the bank a good five years, actually. Yeah. And, you know, got the confidence to apply for jobs internally, got a job on their pension fund there, which got me into investments, which is where I am now. Um, so it got me to sort of, you know, focus, focus more, get the more specialist knowledge. And um, the First Nations Statistical Institute it was an interesting detour, but in the like at the end of the day, it didn't it didn't stop me from doing anything. So, yeah. yeah, at the bank, working on the pension fund, realizing that I really did love investments. Um, and so after that, yeah, I left the bank to take another role um, on an inv investment fund. Um, that was really cool. Um, moved around a little bit during the pandemic. I went back to the bank, definitely like a security blanket move. <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, I did enjoy that and it was like a great couple of years, but yeah. So I recently moved to Toronto. Um, I took a job at um, a large asset manager at TD Asset Management. So I'm on their fixed income team, portfolio manager for, for bonds. For the business world, how much did you find that, you know, remarks in post-secondary mattered to, you know, that first job um, out of school? both FinCEED and the bank, because I was sort of being, yeah, hired as a recent grad, you know, I was sending my transcript, but I can honestly say that, um, especially in my master's, my marks weren't stellar. I wasn't top of the class. I put myself maybe at 50th percentile. So if they were looking for a superstar like, academically, I wouldn't have passed that metric. Um, I think sometimes too, um, in an interview, People would, if they had my transcript, they'd ask me about courses. So if they're looking for your transcript, it doesn't mean that they're just going to screen you out because of your GPA. It is, you know, people would say, oh, I saw that you took this. Um, what did you learn in that class? Why did you choose to take that elective? Are you interested in that? So it's not sort of the the kiss of death to be asked for a transcript. Those two jobs were the only ones where my, my transcript was asked and, um, it's, uh, you know, luckily, <laughs> it's luckily not something I've had to worry about. Cause like I say, it was not, yeah, I was not, not the top. <laughs> 
stick around. Next up on Power in Heels. All of those clients across my team manages $53 billion uh, worth of assets. And so across all of that, everybody day in, day out, there's just money going every direction, every direction. What would you say was your biggest misconception about applying for jobs and trying to, you know, get your career settled, as they say, you know, coming out of, of university? Yeah, the toughest part was to just not count myself out too soon, you know, letting them do that. If they want to screen me out, that's their job. That's HR. They'll they'll cut me if they want to. I don't need to cut myself out of it. So there was there was that I think was a big thing just just to try. And another thing, and this was really helpful, somebody that I went to school with, he could not emphasize enough to us when you're interviewing, just be somebody who these people want to spend 40 or 50 hours a week with. Like there is so much that they can teach you. Um, there is so much that they can't teach you. And that's you know, just being, you know, just good to be around. So he's like, just when you go to an interview, just be, be a person that they want to spend time with. And I realized that. And now being on the other end of the hiring, um, I realized that there is just so much intangible that a person brings. And if I think, man, this person is interesting, or this person seems motivated, you know, when I was at the bank, we hired somebody who had so little of the you know typical prerequisite knowledge and he just wanted to work at the bank so bad and you know that doesn't always work out like obviously but at the same time people who want to be there means often a lot more than something that they're they're going to learn in two weeks anyways why do they need to bring it on day one so I thought that I had to know everything I needed to be some sort of superstar bringing some sort of stacked CV um, but it was really a lot more about just sort of showing who I am as a person and applying to enough jobs to make that happen. That doesn't always happen on the first try. Um, it is a numbers game. So it could be that that person takes a chance on you after, you know, 31 CVs that you've sent. And currently right now you're working as a portfolio manager. So for those who may be listening, who aren't really sure what that career entails, can you kind of give us a look into maybe your average day on the job? Let's see. So it, typical day, the best way I can actually describe this. So when I was on the bank's pension fund, we were a client of TD Asset Management. So we were one of the investors in one of their bond funds. So every dollar that is in the pension fund is, you know, contributions by members, contributions by the employer. It's all modeled 30 years out to make sure that there's going to be enough pension payments. So it's this very intricate amount of work that goes into all of this. Um, and then all of those clients across my team manages $53 billion uh, worth of assets. And so across all of that, everybody day in, day out, there's just money going every direction, every direction. Um, every day, there's new elements to consider. Um, today, for example, the government of Canada issued a new 10-year bond. That's $4 billion of bonds that enter the market. We need to decide how many of those bonds we're going to buy. Um, they change the characteristics of the bond market as a whole. Who's coming to market? Are the banks issuing? Is Enbridge issuing? So every day we get new issues that we have to decide if we're going to buy or not. Um, are they well-valued? Do they fit the characteristics of the portfolios we need to buy? And then we... Again, we deal with our, our clients. What do they need? Where are they putting their money? Um, we just launched a bunch of ETFs, which is really, really cool because when we see money in those, we know that um, 
somewhere an investment advisor is telling their clients, you know, you need to be in this uh, short-term corporate ESG uh, fixed income ETF. And then all of a sudden we see all these flows and we have to invest all of them. So we're sort of in the middle of just this absolute barrage of money. And it's funny because um, I think equities are often treated as sort of the sexier asset class because, you know, Facebook this morning is up 20% because of their earnings and because they did a share buyback and blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, that's fun. I mean, 20% is very impressive. But bonds are the cornerstone of an investment portfolio, especially when it comes to a pension and stuff like that. And so we sit, again, at the crossroads of all this. And because it's it's very scalable, what we do, again, we've got five people managing $53 billion of assets. So it's just, it's just incredible that you're just kind of just in this constant like tornado. I could not imagine handling that sort of money every single day. It seems so, so out of reach, but then, you know, the way you talk about it, you really bring it back down to earth. Everything is possible if you just sort of increment your way into it. Like, Mm -hmm. of course it would seem impossible when you've done no single little part of it. Um, But when you just do a teeny bit at a time and you know then then you end up there and you know other words of wisdom like um from a really good friend of my master's program you know she's like how do you eat an elephant well one bite at a time and i i love that it was like how am i going to learn all this in the next week and she's like you know um so it's the same thing when it comes to work it's all been a series of baby steps and just trusting the process along the way i suppose Moving to Toronto, I think, was was a big one for me. I, I had really told myself that, again, that was for other people. That was for, um, yeah, maybe people who had been more serious about their careers their whole lives or something like that. Um, and then realizing that, like, no, Toronto is just a collection of people just like me, you know, who got lucky or got, you know, got what they worked towards and, um you know, it, it, it could be all of us. Yeah. And speaking of Toronto, now that you've been in the city for a little bit, do you feel like a real Torontonian as they oh would call gosh. it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. What makes me feel, Ooh, what have I done recently? That's been super Toronto. Oh my gosh. Well, okay. Yeah. This is like, well, this is classic Toronto. I never take the TTC after work, but I was meeting a friend. And so I like standing on the platform and you hear like mumble, mumble, Christy section mumble. I'm like, not good. And then of course the next train that's because I'm going west, the next train that's coming, you hear the guy being like, eastbound, eastbound. This train is going eastbound, eastbound, eastbound. I'm like, oh no. So it goes the other way. They're like, oh, there's a security alert or a security disturbance at, at Ossington. I was like, oh my God, of course. So anyways, that was, I was like, oh yeah, this is very Toronto. <laughs> not security on the TTC, but um, okay. But back to uh, real stuff. Um, no, I would say I've stopped getting lost in the path. That's very, very empowering. Um, I'm able to, the other day I was like, I'm just going to go to the bay at lunch because I can. And I just, I did. No walking in circles, none of that, just doing my thing. Um, so that was very satisfying. <laughs> that is so impressive. I must say, like, I still get lost in the path. <laughs> it, it is, it's very very confusing (laughs) that was really it was yeah luck more than skill I would say I'm really I'm really getting it (laughs) 
I love it. No, I, I feel that feeling too. Like I think the first time that I felt like I belonged was when I took the subway all alone for the first mm -hmm. time and I knew where I was going and what stop to get off when I was confident. I, I was like, wow, I belong here. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Hey, it's Macy and Whitney. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Power and Heels. Make sure to join the conversation and never miss a new episode by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there about you know your journey and then all the things that you've learned along the way what would you say are maybe the top three challenges that you faced uh, on your journey so far in your career and life and all those different things yeah one of the top ones has been sort of insecurity imposter syndrome sometimes I've I've gotten in my own way I think it's something you do have to overcome every day whether it's in a big way or a small way but I think you're you know, you're never going to completely rid yourself of, of those thoughts. I think the fact that, you know, people are talking about it a lot more um, has helped because it does make you think that, okay, if all these people are thinking this, we can't possibly all be right. Having realistic expect expectations for myself too, because um, I think, you know, a lot of what we're doing, it should be difficult. Like if it were easy, it wouldn't be worth doing. Um, which is, you know, it's really hard in the moment when you're, again, like applying for all these jobs or you're unhappy where you are. It, you know, it's not easy, but also if it's difficult, that means it's, you know, it's challenging you for a reason and pushing you. So I think, you know, feeling insecure might just mean that, yeah, you're stretching yourself and that's like also okay. Other challenges, well, like I sort of said, operating without a plan for my career, I think I've often thought that I might have gotten further if um, I'd been more directed earlier. But I think getting past that has, you know, sort of been a matter of me saying, like, am I okay now? Like, am I happy now? I don't know how things would have been. They may have been better. They may have been worse. I, I don't know. What, what am I? There are so many more important things to think about than <laughs> fantasy land about yeah. what if I had done this. Mm -hmm. I mean, at that rate, does it matter either? You know, the what ifs? Exactly. So I think, yeah, like playing, yeah, playing what if, um, I think is a sort of a, a time suck. It's a thief of joy, you know, getting out of my head, not thinking that if only, um, because I think everything, everything I've done has worked out again. I'm, I'm very happy where I am and life is uncertain. Um, so there was no way ever I was going to be able to pick a path that was very certain. So I guess another one would be sort of maybe related to the first, but being able to speak up, ask questions. I think asking questions in particular um, has always been quite difficult for me. Um, I think especially during the first few years of my career, I think I was very quiet. And so I think getting past that was just getting comfortable, well, getting used to being uncomfortable, you know, never being comfortable with being uncomfortable, but just, with, you know, becoming a bit more willing to put myself out there. And again, now that I'm on the other side, now that we've got more junior staff who are asking questions, particularly when I was back at the bank, I'm not answering anybody's questions now after three months of my job, but it is, it's such a good thing to see. First of all, I really appreciate when they do. I also know that I need to give them really positive feedback about it because um, again, they're putting themselves out there. It's not always easy. You know, I, I remember one specific manager who in a performance review, actually no, in a performance review, he kind of pushed me on it and said that I did need to like, you know, you, you can't find the answers to these things in some textbook. You need to ask us, speak up. We, you know, we want to, we want to teach you. 
and then, you know, the next time we talked and he was able to say, I really noticed this. I mean, it, it meant the world to me. It meant that it wasn't unappreciated what I was doing. And I think it really helped me find um, the confidence to, to, to keep going with that. And since then, um, yeah, I've been able to participate more in conversations and, you know, be, be more part of a team and all that, all that good stuff. Well, that's some really, really great advice. And and you got me thinking a little bit when you were telling your story and people used to get out of school and they would, you know, find their job and they would stay in that job for the rest of their careers until they retired. But the days of that are sort of over, you know, people are really encouraged now to jump around and learn and try and figure out what works for them um, and just try all different types of positions. So you had, you know, a couple of different positions along your journey so far. What do you think you've learned from each of those that have helped you become who you are today, but also helped you in your position that you're in now? Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting because I haven't done one particular job ever for more than three years. That's I've maxed out there, um, which, yeah, again, a generation ago, I think that would have been not as tolerated um, as it is, you know, welcomed and just, you know, totally normal now. Um, so I think, yeah, it's really helped me keep it fresh. I think I've worked across a broad set of economic and finance related roles, which I think helps to see, I guess, like the different dimensions um, of different things. Like, again, for example, working at the Bank of Canada, seeing how they set monetary policy, seeing what goes into making their decisions, what inputs they take in, what they are trying to communicate when they communicate. Well, again, now that I'm sitting on the other side as a fixed income investor, sometimes I feel like I'm doing a little bit of translation for my colleagues who have only ever sort of been in the private sector and are sometimes like, what is the bank on about now? I'm like, oh, no, no, this is actually important. And then I sound like a huge nerd, which is another thing, but that's okay. So I think seeing the different sides. Um, and also, I mean, back to what I said before, Having been a client of TDAM is really, really helpful for me as a portfolio manager there. Just thinking about what I appreciated as a client. Um, I even actually interviewed for more of like a sales role before that. And it was because I was really thinking, I was like, wait, I could do a great job. I, I know so clearly what the end investors want, or at least me personally. And I think the challenge is, is that everybody has different preferences when it comes to sort of the learning and the partnership and stuff like that. So it, it, I don't think I would have been great at sales, but um, I think having been on both sides of the table, it was great. Um, so I'm just very happy that, yeah, we live in an economy now in a world where um, you can move when you need a new challenge. You don't, you know, there's no stigma about that. What is something that you wish you knew before you entered the corporate slash financial world, or even to kind of go along with that, maybe even one thing that you wish school taught you before you entered this sort of industry? I think they could have been a little bit more clear in school that this is just the tip of the iceberg, that you that we're not teaching you everything you need to know. And, you know, nobody is going to ask you to sketch ISLM model on your job, they're going to ask you to do something totally different and you're going to have to learn it. Um, and that, you know, often a Google search is like completely okay if that's how you need to figure out how to do something. That's a really interesting perspective and, and very good to hear too. I think a lot of students kind of need to hear that and then can help them along on their goals as well. I've learned so much from you so far and I'm sure Macy has as well. Um, 
but we do unfortunately have to wrap up before we do um we always love to kind of pass the mic to our guest and, and give you time to speak directly to our listeners so this is your time if you have any um last pieces of advice or stories that you'd like to share with our listeners uh the time is yours i would just say that you know these years once you know you're early leaving school for me they were some of my most challenging years i'm really lucky that it all turned out quite well but it has been sort of since hitting 30 that i've hit my stride a bit more found a bit more confidence found my voice being able to enjoy even sort of friendships and you know connections that i built through work and you know have a bit more of a a social life it gets easier i think it does i think it's not to be underestimated how yeah, how how hard those years are um, when, you know, every day is, you know, just sort of fighting to keep your head above water. So I would say that it does, you know, it does get better. You, you probably will hit your stride more than you think is possible. And it's, it's probably not that far away. So just hang in there. That is some great advice to leave our listeners with. And um, Joanna, thank you so much for joining us. I know Whitney and I learned so much and uh, we're super inspired. So we appreciate having you on the show today. You guys are doing a great job. Um, it was a pleasure. You guys are a delight. Um, so the pleasure was all mine.